Matt. Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Kaiju Transmissions, and as you know, we talk about giant monsters, and we are in the middle of uh, Kong Kong season. Isn't that right? Is that is that a, is that like hunting season? Is that I don't know. Like I like last time I said Kong month, but like it's going it's, it's from like February through March cuz yeah. we're, we're building up to Skull Island. So I don't I I just said season. I don't, I didn't know what else to say. That works, I guess. We're in the middle of our King Kong uh spectacular. King Kong Boogaloo? Is that that's still is that still a thing? The Boogaloo thing? Sure. Everybody adds like electric boogaloo to the end of any sequel movie. They sequel should. movie? Man, I can't speak English. Movie sequel. Movie any, sequel? I mean, you could just say sequel. Is that is that redundant? It is redundant, isn't it? You should it? just say sequel. <laughs> um and uh today is a very special day. Do you know why that is? Um I don't. Well, actually, actually, it is special to me because today is my grandmother's birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday, Grandma. Yeah, Grandma. Does, I she, know realize, you're not does she realize she has the same – her birthday lands on the same day that John Wick 2 screening started? Did John Wick 2 start? It, oh, I didn't know that. It, 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 it started like it's Thursday evening screenings today, and it's like starts officially you, tomorrow. I don't think people know how much we sacrifice. See, we we could be – watching john wick 2 right now but we are recording the podcast yeah i literally could be talking about like well well i could be talking about john wick 2 if i went to like the seven o'clock show but i'm here to tell everyone about king kong uh because over here uh matt would you say you're going ape not after watching the movie no oh okay well all right so Ape, Ape, Ape still haunts me. By the way, that movie was terrible. <laughs> oh, oh well, well, you know what? We look now. Everyone now, people listening might not go watch Ape because you just said that. Well, I we we told them not to in the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's not out. That's not out yet. <laughs> oh, well, spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So previously on Kaiju Transmissions, uh, way back when. Like, in our, our first, like, few episodes, we did the original King Kong and its sequel, Son of Kong. So, that's where you can hear about that. And on our last episode, we talked about the two Japanese movies from Toho, as well as other Japanese King Kong oddities. So, Matt, do you know what the next chapter uh, in the uh, the, the King Kong uh franchise the king kong legacy do you know do you know where our next stop is now gonna have to go with something made in the 70s yes so we uh we are are good we're going into the dino de Laurentiis uh era of kong and oh my lord i don't know how <laughs> we're gonna get through i mean first of all we have to review the 76 movie and king kong lives but I don't even honest to God. I don't know how we're gonna get through the origin of this movie. <laughs> I, I'm going to like. I, I mean, regular listeners know that I, I I'm kind of like the 
you know, I'm the guy that gives like the backstory of everything. You know, I'm the the researcher obsessive guy who, you know, just stockpiles information about these movies. So I I usually kind of walk us through the discussion from like conception through a movie's release. And my lord, my god. I, <laughs> I honestly like I'm trying to figure out where to start. Uh so um Matt as you know, uh there was a movie um in the mid 70s that came out. Um I think it's kind of obscure. You may have heard of it, but uh it's called Jaws. You familiar with it? Yeah, never ne- <laughs> of course. Right. Um so after Jaws came out, and was huge. I mean, it, Jaws like changed the American cinematic landscape, right? So everyone was kind of looking for the next the ne- the the next movie that could tap into the same thing Jaws did for people and and be as if not more successful. Um, so in the mid seventies, uh, you had Paramount and Universal. Um, both of whom were trying to make a uh, do a remake of King Kong, and uh, it's not, a Kong remake or a, a retelling wasn't you know something that no one had tried before. Um, in the sixties, uh, Hammer, the British Hammer Productions, they tried a couple times. Uh, to get a, a Kong movie off the ground, um, but they, they couldn't get the rights. Um, Jim Danforth, the uh, stop-motion animator, uh, who started out as one of Willis O'Brien's assistants, um, he tried to get a remake going um, in 74. Uh, that didn't pan out uh, for similar reasons. So it's, it's not, uh, it wasn't a new idea when these two studios started fighting over over this thing. Um, so I guess before we, sh- we get into this, I should just talk about uh, the rights to King Kong. Um, of any fictional character, I can't think of one whose, whose rights are so scattered and so all over the place and so convoluted and been through so many court cases and... So I'm going to start there, um, and, geez, it, 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 just this is going to be exhausting. <laughs> like, I, 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 like I, I tried to, like, memorize the back and forth between everybody, and I legitimately, like, I couldn't do it. So That's I did, impressive, because you literally remember about everything, I think. I mean, I, I'd be able to tell you, like, who owns what and why, but I wouldn't be able to tell you, like, I wouldn't be able to remember like when each thing happened because it was batted back and forth so many times. So I actually have a, a Microsoft Word document open <laughs> that I'm going to use as a guideline to give the history of the rights to King this is, Kong. This is the first time that Bird has used notes for the podcast. Yeah. Cheer, woo. Uh, just because I, I want to give the most full like overview of it as possible. Okay, so the Marion C. Cooper created and came up with the idea for King Kong in 1929. Um, And he was behind the original movie as a writer, producer, and co-director, as well as the sequel, Son of Kong. Um, I briefly glossed over this in our last episode, that back then, you know, copyright laws or, you know, they weren't paid 
attention to as much. Um, and it was it's not that Cooper was stupid. He just thought like, oh, I created this character, so obviously it's mine. And he started to run into trouble when he tried to do a, a, a Tarzan versus King Kong movie uh, for Pioneer Pictures, where he had um, gotten a management position. Um, and uh, that is at, that actually just came out as a a novel. So anyone that wants to see a Tarzan versus King Kong, it's out there in book form. Um, so then later. Uh, Things really started to brew up uh, when John Beck had uh, sold King Kong versus Godzilla to Toho, who got the rights to make a Kong movie uh, from RKO. Now, when this happened, um, Cooper uh, was also kind of—that's around the time the Aurora model kits and stuff were coming out. And so, for King Kong versus Godzilla, for these kits, for none of it, he wasn't getting any credit or any kind of royalties. So he took everyone to court, and um, the, basically the courts ruled that RKO owns King Kong outright, and they own um, not just the two movies, but they own, they, they own the character. Um, now, Cooper could have probably proven his case, but the, uh, the documents... Um, that he had from RKO that would give him that that uh, power over Kong uh, over the years had gone missing uh, when he returned from World War II. Uh, so because Cooper had commissioned a novelization of the original King Kong, um, it the courts ruled that that novelization is the only thing that he owned the rights to. Are you following me, Matt? I am. Is everyone okay? If, if 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 everyone's following me, um, but there was also a comic book and a uh, a serialization that was in a magazine. So those like publication, those publications, that's what Cooper owned. Um, so, uh, I mean, that sucks for him. Real, uh, like honestly, like uh, I mean, it's his character, it's his baby, and he can't do anything with it, which happens a lot. Happens all the time with with these big characters, these movie franchises. Like John Carpenter doesn't own Michael Myers, you know. The like produ- movie producers and studios <laughs> own these characters. Um, that's 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 how it usually goes. Uh, now, okay, so everyone kind of assumes that's kind of a done deal, right? So in nineteen seventy five, um, this is when the issue would come up again. Uh, because um, Universal had spoken with... uh, Both Universal and Paramount had allegedly approached RKO with doing a Kong remake. Um, Or, I'm sorry, Universal and RKO, what am I talking about? Universal and Dino De Laurentiis, uh, who was going to do do a remake with Paramount. So between Dino and Universal, um, Dino had paid... RKO a lot of money, uh, about $200,000 to get the remake rights from RKO. Now Universal um they didn't have they they said that they had a verbal agreement with the head of RKO. Um now the thing is Dino had a contract, signed paperwork that said that, you know, he has paid for the rights to remake this movie. 
And so there were several legal battles um, that included uh, RKO countersuing Universal. Uh, <laughs> D- Dino filed a lawsuit uh, against Univer- uh, them claiming interference. Um, and then uh, Richard Cooper, Marion C. Cooper's son, um, as Marion at this point had passed away, uh, came in again and said, you know, the Cooper estate should own this. So, um, and then during, during all that universal had discovered that the, uh, novelization that I just, that I, that I mentioned earlier, uh, the Cooper estate failed to renew, uh, its copyright. So that novelization and the, the magazine serial, um, with the original King Kong story has fallen, has, and still is in the public domain which means anyone can do anything with it. So Universal said that they should be able to make a movie based on the novelization without infringing on any of the copyrights. All right, Matt, you following me? (laughs) Yeah, their logic is bizarre, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) So then uh, um, uh, Richard Cooper filed a cross-claim against RKO, claiming that the publishing rights to the novel had not been renewed, but his estate should still control the plot and story of King Kong. Um, and then that went to a bench trial, which, uh, came to a final decision that the novelization and serialization were indeed part of the public domain and universal could make its movie as long as it didn't infringe, follow me here, on elements that were in the film, but not in the novelization. Okay. For example, Carl Denham in the novelization does not have a name, so they would be able to have that character without that name. So, for those of us still awake whose heads haven't exploded, um, (laughs) I I will continue. Um, So, Universal uh, had decided to postpone their plans for a Kong movie uh, for at least 18 months after they finally came to a settlement with Dino that uh, Universal would get a portion of the box office profits from the Paramount film, okay? Um, and then, to bring everything back together, uh, in 70, late 76, um, another ruling was made which held that the, the rights, the name, character, and story of King Kong uh, belonged to the Cooper estate. Uh, that's a ruling that became known as the Cooper Judgment. Um, so, in the end, after uh, you know all this this hubbub with these two remakes, it was decided that Cooper, uh, you know, he he had um, uh, the rights to the name, character, and story. Um, and then, uh, so that's a huge victory, but. Um, Almost immediately after that happened, I don't know what was going on in the Cooper family or what, but Richard Cooper sold all of the rights to Universal in at the end of 1976. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? That's uh, it, the most bizarre thing of. of oh, go ahead, sorry. Except for the publication rights, so so Cooper, the Cooper estate. The novelization and the serialization are still public domain. However, uh, any other Kong print stories or materials you come across, 
that's all officially licensed by the Cooper estate. So the Kong versus Tarzan book I mentioned, um, the, 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 the Skull Island prequel book that came out uh, in the early 2000s, like uh, there was a Kong-Doc Savage crossover. All that is official stuff from, from the Coopers. So Universal has, at this point, most of the rights to King Kong. Um, uh, so, in 1982, um, Universal tried to sue Nintendo for the video game Donkey Kong, uh, which was created in 1981 for copyright infringement. Um, but that case uh, is known as like one of the stupidest intellectual property cases ever because the court said earlier when there was a King Kong copyright with Universal, they claimed that it was public domain, and now they're claiming that they own the character. And then, so that, that was basically thrown out, and the, the, at the end, um, it, it came to, they can't sue Nintendo because they don't own all of the rights to the character. So RKO owned Kong 33 and Son of Kong. Um, Dino De Laurentiis owned the 76 remake, and, uh, the Cooper Estate owned the book and periodical publishing rights. Um, <laughs> later on, uh, uh, RKO, you know, once they went under, they were absorbed by Turner, uh, who merged with Time Warner. And so because of that, Warner Brothers owns the rights to the RKO films these days. However, Universal still... Um, don't uh, or they still own the majority of the rights to King Kong, which is why, uh, in order to get Skull Island made, um, uh, it's kind of what Dino did with King Kong Lives is he had to get specific permission from Universal to make the movie. Um, so same thing with how uh, Legendary had to get permission from Universal to take it over to Warner Brothers. Um, so. Uh, that's the rights to King Kong. Um, Universal has taken advantage of that, though. Um, we did mention that, uh, after the 76 movie, they agreed to wait at least 18 months before doing their own remake, uh, and that didn't surface until 2005 with the Peter Jackson version. Um, they also had several rides at the, uh, Universal Studios. Um, there was the King Kong Encounter at the theme park in Hollywood. Did you ever go to that? I did not, actually wanted to go but never never did yeah same here um i never went to the the um the hollywood one um that was followed by the confrontation ride in 1990 um which was closed in 2002 oh and the king kong encounter was destroyed in 2008 in a fire um i did go on like uh I think it was the Florida one. They have like the a little like train ride that takes you through the whole studio, and there is a part where like you pass through a uh, what's like a wrecked city, and there's a giant Kong. Uh, I think that's uh, um, long gone also. Uh, but um, in 2010, they did the 3D ride based on the Jackson movie, and then I guess just this past year they they opened a new ride. Um, at Orlando. Um, so, there's the rights to King Kong. Uh, do you? Are you okay? I need to check on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just bizarre how. Uh, I mean, one property could be dismantled and like sold, and 
so many different ways and be involved in something. It's just it, – it's dumb. It, it reminds me of how – uh, the Godzilla of 1985 rights probably are because nobody seems to know. Yeah, like who owns what part well, of yeah, that movie? Yeah, it's because like so much like like no one's really sure like who owns like uh, like because because <laughs> like the the 85 version like used music cues from other movies and like no one knows who owns those and like yeah, it's just a big it's it's a mess. Um, so I mean the I mean the whole thing is like. Big movie studios are very, like, uh, they're very touchy about, like, copyright and stuff. Like, they don't want to step on anyone's toes because then who knows who could surface later and say, like, uh, hey, I owned that, you know. Um, and, and that's actually part of the reason why um, we haven't seen, like, a Hollywood Ultraman because the rights are a mess. It's an absolute mess. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they're... <laughs> <laughs> And and so so uh I mean for Thomas Tull and Legendary to sit down and figure all this out like I feel like I need like a like a whiteboard and like a draw, like a a marker and like draw like graphs and stuff to explain this to people. So with <laughs> that out of the way so I I we go from one convoluted topic to another cuz the convoluted rights thing ha- happened um and that's also how Dino was able to get the movie made. Now I get to go into the convoluted making of the movie. So, for the love of God, people, uh, if you wanted to skip to the review, <laughs> I wouldn't even blame you. So You're going to die, Bird. You're going to die tonight. <laughs> no, I, I, I have a Red Bull that I'm sipping on because I, I don't want to burn out from exhaustion. Because uh, a little behind-the-scenes info, we're recording three episodes tonight, and this is the first one. Um, so, okay, so, um, kind of, kind of to flash back to the battle with Universal, um, they were kind of doing this kind of, like, dick measuring thing where it was like, you know, Universal was like, they got cocky enough to be like, okay, here's our release date, we got a release date, what do you think of that kind of thing, and then Dino's like, hmm, well, I'll make my release date... Uh, before yours, and then and then like stuff like that kept happening, and like I said, like I I gave the Cliff Notes version of this whole whole mess. They they did a, a, a quite a few back and forth in court. So I mean, it, it was at the point where Dino De Laurentiis was spending a lot of money trying to wrestle the rights to make this movie just on lawyer and lawyer costs. Um, and I mean, this is for a movie that isn't made, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so going from there, um, it, it, it basically came down to, uh, I mean, the decision that led to Universal and Dino making that deal where Universal would get the profits was, it was starting to come down to who's going to start shooting first, because whoever starts first, the other one's going to back off. So because of all this, Dino De Laurentiis is rushing everything. He's like, okay, we need scripts, storyboards, start building stuff, start building sets, start building mechanical hands. This is all before the movie is even, he even like has legal permission to, to make a King Kong movie. And, and, you know, I mean, he was very confident in, um, 
I mean, he, he's your typical like overconfident businessman. He's, he's very confident that he's going to get this thing made. And I don't necessarily blame him because of the two parties, he's the one that had the signed paperwork. So he, he knew it was only a matter of time before they told him to go ahead. So he was like, okay, we're starting anyway. Um, and so, uh, I mean, he, he pushed the release date forward like a lot and people are building sets. People are building giant mechanical apes. And, um, I mean, he's start, he's spending money now that the studio doesn't have. Uh, and this is all like in pre-production. So anyway, um, going to the actual production, you know, I mean, Dino and Universal, they've shaken hands, they've come to an agreement. Uh, so, for crying out loud, so they they got a guy, um, uh, his name's escaping me, his first name's Mario, what's his last name? Luigi? I I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, he he was like the 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 guy in pre production that that Dino had hired to do, you know, design Kong, uh, and he came up with this thing that was kind of like an ape man, um, kind of think maybe like a Planet of the Apes thing, and he was thinking like to make bring Kong to life, he would use the same kind of makeup techniques as Planet of the Apes. So think along those lines. That sounds terrible, honestly. <laughs> And then they're like, okay, well, uh, we got the design. Who's going to build this thing? Um, and Dino had brought over from Italy uh, Carlo Rambaldi. Um, and throughout this podcast, it's probably going to sound like I'm I'm bashing Carlo Rambaldi, um, but I'm not. Uh, he has done a lot of great stuff. He, E.T., um, Alien... Uh, one of my favorite, like, obscure, weirdo, freaky horror movies, Possession from 1981. Uh, a bunch of, like, Italian horror with, like, Bava and Argento and Fulci. So, very talented effects guy. Um, and uh, and then they also were looking at um, Rick Baker's par- portfolio, you know, the great Rick Baker, who, if I have to tell you who Rick Baker is, I mean... Just stop look, listening. Look, look him up on IMDb. He's he's <laughs> one of the greatest effects artists of all time. Uh, I mean, American Werewolf in London, uh, Videodrome, uh, like uh, excuse me, uh, Ed Wood, the ho- um, the Howling, uh, Star Wars, uh, the Fury. I mean, his his filmography is amazing. Uh, Gremlins two, Men in Black. I mean, he he helped do creatures and makeup and consulting. American Werewolf in London. How did you not? I said that, didn't I? I don't think you did. I think I think you are just I... crazy. Am I dumb? Yeah. Well, it, it needs to be it needs to be mentioned twice. Well, it should because be said again. Awesome. Yes, because yeah, movie's awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, he was still pretty young in his life and his career, um, but they were looking because. But uh, Rick Baker is always and well, I mean, he doesn't do him anymore. Uh, he he felt like he peaked kind of with uh, Mighty Joe Young in '98, but he he used to be like a go-to guy if you wanted a, a, a movie gorilla, because um, he had done uh, the gorilla in both Kentucky Fried Movie and Schlock for John Landis, and Dino had looked at that work and said, wow, you know, I think we might be able to use this guy. Um, 
so he came in and at first he turned it down because he he wanted you know he was like you know i i don't want to collaborate with anyone really i kind of want to just do my own thing uh but then after looking at rambaldi's portfolio he was like okay this guy this guy's pretty good so let's work together it'll be (laughs) what could go wrong um (laughs) these two guys oh my lord these two did not agree on anything. Um, Rambaldi had told Dino he can make a King, King Kong 100% robotic. So a, a robot Kong would be Kong throughout the whole movie. Uh, Baker said, that's impossible. I, no, but that, that can't happen. No one can do that. Um, we'll check back in a few minutes to see who was right. Um, and And, you know, because Rambaldi was so confident that they could do that. Uh, it was decided that, you know, let's start building this giant mechanical King Kong. Um, and the whole time, Rick Baker is just sitting in the corner shaking his head like, I don't know how they think this is even possible. This is insane. And um, so to get to the robot Kong, uh, first of all, um, they just when when Baker came in, he he said, "Look, the Planet of the Apes ape thing is, you know, it's been done, it's been milked. Let's build a full like just Kong suit with you know mechanics and stuff like that." Uh, so so they scrapped that ape man design. Now that big Kong I mentioned, they started production on that when it was the ape man design, and then they were like, "Oh crap." We need to, like, adapt to this new design. So that's why the Robot Kong has, like, really kind of skinny, more human-like legs. And then it gets more ape-like because it was literally built from the ground up. And it started as a completely different thing. Uh, A similar thing happened with the giant hands, the giant Kong hands, which were these huge, expensive, hydraulically powered gorilla arms... And they had to make they had to they had they had to make them again because they changed the design of the creature. Um, so I mean, just just to you know interject a little a little bit more uh, life because I'm going on and on. Matt, what what do you think uh, so far <laughs> of what I'm telling you? Well, because I've seen the movie and because that. The the robot Kong is like when it's shown, it's just so jarring. <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a mess. Um. So now, huh, all right. So, um. Uh, the Kong suit. Uh, let's get back to the actual suit. So it's decided. I mean, and and you know, a lot of these tests, they're realizing like, okay, this robot isn't gonna work. But Dino decided, you know what? That's a great selling point in advertising that we'll have a full 40-foot King Kong in this movie. Uh, so keep building it. Keep doing it. Finish it. Um, and the total cost of this thing was $1.7 million. Nearly $2 million. Now, the, bu- the, the, the budget of the movie was placed at, uh, I mean, it, it was first $12 million, then it went to $16 million, then it went to $24 million, which was like the final budget they had. Um, and they, they did go over budget. but So out of $24 million, $2 million 
is just on this Kong thing. And, and, and uh, Dino De Laurentiis, his compromise was as long as it winds up in the movie somehow, I can't say, like, you know, it was false advertising or anything. So that's why this huge thing only is, is, is only in a total of less than 15 seconds of the running time. Uh, and when you see it in motion, you'll know why, because it's awful. <laughs> it's an awful effect. $2 million wasted just on that. It's so bad. Um, so, uh, now getting to the suit, this was another thing where Baker and Rambaldi, I mean, first of all, Rick Baker is like the only one of these effects guys that like even speaks English. Like none of these guys, like the, this, this effects department is a mostly Italian crew, and a lot of them don't speak a lick of English. Um, so uh, now another thing him and Rambaldi couldn't agree on was the suit, um, uh, including like what it's made out of. Like uh, I forget what the animal was. It was it wasn't like um, it wasn't like mink or something, but. It, it was it was it was it was a it was a mammal like a soft mammal and Rambaldi wanted to use its fur, and Baker was I, I mean first of all he was opposed to using a- animal skin uh, for the Kong suit he was like you know I know like guys that can like sew in really awesome artificial hair it'll be uh, it'll be great trust me and the Italian guys are like no we want the 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 little fluffy animal I I'm so sorry I can't remember what the animal is. Um, but you get the idea, right? Uh, and and so they they made a suit with that fur, and it looked ridiculous. It, it like the the fur wouldn't stay in place. It looked like a giant like <laughs> kush ball. And and Rick Baker <laughs> again is stuck saying like I told you so. Um, and so him and him and Rambaldi couldn't agree on like anything. So the compromise that. Um, uh, the director, John Gillerman, and Dino had made was, each of you make a suit, and we'll just go which, with, with whichever one that we like the best. Now, because Rambaldi was also in charge of uh, of building the giant hands and the giant Kong, uh, when it came the, the, the due date to, to go and turn in their suits and do tests, he didn't have a suit. Only Rick Baker had a suit, so they said, okay, we'll give Carlo Rambaldi, uh, you know, we'll, we'll extend his deadline by a while. So this pissed Rick Baker off, because he's like, I busted my ass on this suit, and this guy's <laughs> been screwing around with these awful, like, giant robots that barely work. Um, so uh, uh, he came in with his suit, and, you know, because Rambaldi was behind... They were like, okay, and, and again, they're trying to rush this along uh, to meet this, this super early uh, release date. Um, so Rick Baker is kind of, you know, they're like, okay, well, we'll, you know, do a lot of stuff based on your suit because, I mean, the other guy, he's busy with other stuff. He can't turn it in. Um, so everyone's really kind of just getting used to Baker's suit and... Um, uh, I think at this point is when they they decide to start rebuilding like the ma- the giant Kong and the hands and everything. Everyone's just accustomed to Rick's suit now. And then when Carlo Rambaldi turned in his suit, um, they didn't like it, uh, and they didn't really like Baker's suit to begin with uh, when he tested it out. But the director got used to it, and so the director John Gillerman was like, "Yeah, we're gonna go with Baker's suit." 
Um, the only thing that uh, Baker and Rambaldi agreed on were the uh, mechanics in the face. Uh, if you watch the movie, the face is very expressive. That's all like uh, animatronics that are in the mask, the Kong mask that they're wearing. Um, and, you know, that's the only thing that they ever really agreed on during this whole production. Um, another thing is like Dino and Rambaldi and them, they wanted Kong to walk like a human. And Baker was like, he should walk like an ape. Like, I mean, give me some arm extensions. I'll, I'll, I can walk slouched over like an ape. And I, and I know uh, in previous movies, Kong has kind of walked upright, um, even in the original. But he still is always kind of slouched. Um, and every now and then he'll walk on all fours. Um, and, and, and Rick Baker was saying, like, look, if I walk like a human in this suit, I'm going to look like a guy in a suit. No one's going to buy it. It's going to look stupid. And he already wasn't really fond of the suit that they, that they made. Like, I mean, to this day, Rick Baker says, you know, that Kong suit, if he, if he didn't have to have so many collaborators to agree on everything, he thinks he could have done a much better suit. Um, and I think the suit's okay, but he feel he he still feels like it was under his capabilities, and you know his decision, his request to play Kong slouched and you know on all fours and moving more like a real gorilla was overridden. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he does just walk around standing straight up, uh, and you know, I mean, the thing is, like, he's surrounded by people who who never made a gorilla costume. He's experienced in that, and. I mean, it's, it's someone who really did know what he was doing at every turn being told, no, you can't do it in the way that makes sense. Do it this dumbass way. Um, and, I mean, anyway. Uh, so, this, I mean, the, the, this production is, is out of control. Um, and uh, at this point, it's gone well over its its uh budget um so much so that dino paramount wasn't giving him any more money so he had to start uh taking loans out from uh like um his own personal bankers to to finish this thing um so uh you have ballooning budgets um i mean we've barely talked about uh the director john gillerman who uh seems like a confident director but you know, he was prone to a lot of outbursts and mood swings and, uh, and like, like this whole movie was just plagued by disagreements in production. Oh, and to give you another idea of how clueless these, these filmmakers were, um, got a guy whose last name I can't remember. First name's Mario, designer of Kong guy. He he said, "Hey, to play King Kong, why don't we just hire black people because they're more <laughs> ape-like?" I Can forgot you... about that. I <laughs> this forgot happened. About that. Oh my gosh! This happened, and 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 everyone said, "No, are you insane?" <laughs> like, um, it's not racist at all. Uh, it's not. And then uh, was Mario in the film? I don't believe so. Okay. Um. And then, like, they had to shoot the World Trade Center sequence twice because the first time there were over 30,000 extras that showed up, and, like, uh, 
the authorities in New York and at the World Trade Center were concerned that like so many people would cause the plaza they were filming in to collapse and so oh they, the, so the producers had to shut down filming and then with the the scenes they were filming a bunch of stupid extras they just kept like walking up to the mechanical kong and like trying to grab like pieces of its fur and i phew, that, that's the making of this movie in a nutshell i mean i could go on and on with i mean like the making of this movie is really it's honestly fascinating. Um, I mentioned the book King Kong History of a Movie Icon uh, on our last episode, and it really walks through every step of the production process for each Kong movie. And just the section on 76 is like, it's, it's massive. Like, it's practically like a, a quarter of the book. Um, like, it's one, and it's one of the most famously mismanaged productions that in hollywood history um from everything from how it got off the ground to the shooting of it to the release of it to its oscar win are a mess to give you an idea of the oscar win i mentioned uh i mentioned this is, this is the worst part by the way <laughs> <laughs> I, I mentioned um you know Dino De Laurentiis, he justified that $1.7 million price tag on the Big Kong by pushing it in promotional material. And basically, he he tried to pass off all of King Kong in the movie as being the robot Kong, when in reality it's less than 15 seconds. But to him, he thought that would get butts in seats, it would get people excited, and it would justify spending that much money on it. Um, and that led all the way into the credits of the movie. At the end of the movie, it says, um, you know, effects by Carlo Rambaldi with special contributions by Rick Baker. Um, and then the Oscar, uh, it, this movie did win an Oscar for best, uh, effects. And it went to all these Italian crew that made these, these robots that didn't work. And Rick Baker, who made the Kong suit and played King Kong, didn't get anything. Uh, and, oh I, I mean, he, he is uh, rightfully so gone on to win many, many Oscars. I think he has something like 14 um, because he really is the, the best in the business. But, I mean, that was a huge uproar. Um, I just mentioned Jim Danforth earlier, the stop-motion animator that worked with O'Brien. He was part of the Academy, and he quit in protest. Uh, and it wasn't just him. A lot of people quit in protest because they knew that Rick is the one that brought Kong to life and, and made the suit, played, played the character, like, and that was his Oscar. Um and uh, i mean that that's terrible <laughs> uh and i mean in the end um the movie it was a modest success uh it it made um almost triple its budget but you know a, a couple things to remember about that is that's just the shooting budget that the studio gave you know i mean there were all the, the pre-production costs with the lawyers, and, uh, I mean, there were all the bankers that Dino had, had taken out loans from, and when you think about how a studio only gets roughly half of its box office gross, the rest goes to theaters, it goes to, to uh, advertising agencies, 
um, when you think about, okay, it, it made almost triple its budget, and then half of it goes back into the studio, and right there, that's just them breaking even. They're just making their money back. And then you look at all the other costs, okay, lawyer costs, um, paying off those bankers and those private loans that Dino had taken out. Once you add all that up, I mean, there's a profit margin that's relatively wide. Um, I guess a comparison I would I would bring up is like the, the 98 Godzilla movie which uh, is often mislabeled as being a box office bomb, which it wasn't. It was fairly successful. In fact, it was more successful than the 2014 movie. It it made a lot of money. Um, But if you remember the advertising for Godzilla 98, that was a multi-million dollar ad campaign that, like, no one had seen a movie campaign that big before. And then um, because of that, TriStar lost money. They made back their production costs, but they lost money just in advertising costs and uh, and and you know um, uh, uh, franchise partnerships uh, like uh, Trendmasters, who owned the toy license for Godzilla at the time. That <laughs> oh, was that was a key contributor to them going bankrupt. Was because yep. TriStar wasn't making the money back. Um, so it's a similar case where this movie, it made back its budget, it made back practically triple its budget worldwide, but there were so many other outside costs that the amount of money they spent, I mean, it was well over that, but that 24 million, when you consider lawyer, lawyers and ad, like this movie also had a huge advertising campaign and, um, going over budget and Dino having to take out private loans Again, you know, the movie isn't a box office bomb, like some people claim, but it also wasn't very profitable. And there's a reason why Dino was never able to get another Kong movie made at Paramount. King Kong Lives didn't come until he had formed his own production company. So, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to keep it in perspective here. Um, and to give you an example, remember, Paramount um, allowed Dino to, to make this movie because... He was convinced that uh, um, that <clears throat> he could make something as big or bigger than Jaws. Um, but to give you a comparison, Jaws, uh, which was released eight months earlier, was made with nine million dollars, and worldwide it made four hundred and seventy million. Uh, King Kong was made with a production budget of twenty-four million and made ninety million. So, uh, does that, (laughs) is that, uh, with with the mass, but that, that's not the same. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, and I, Dino, he, he had, uh, he had sold them on, you know, this being like a movie that would make people emotional. Uh, his famous quote is when jaws die, nobody cry. But when Kong die, everybody cry, um, at which I'm assuming it was spoken in an Italian accent. <laughs> uh, okay, so, uh, Matt, I have talked for like 30 minutes about this nonsense. So, I'm going to ask you a question, then I want you to lead off with your feelings on the movie. So, my question is, 
just based on this background, what do you what's your general impression of the the production management going on? And secondly, just start talking about I lead into your review of the movie because I <laughs> am going to stop talking for at least 40 seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's uh no wonder the the production the, the production basically leads directly into the kind of movie we got. Like the movie isn't good, so I can I can see why. Um, especially because we, we talked about this prior to coming into the podcast. There's so many issues going into the actual way the movie was was filmed, and um, especially with with the giant, you know, the the Kong robot. It's so jarringly different and uh, incredibly unconvincing in action. Like there's a scene where they. Uh, they have, you know, Kong and the, the ma- when they basically re- reveal Kong to the audience and like then when Kong like breaks the the steel bars or whatever from his cage and like moves his arms up and down like that scene is so bad. <laughs> um, like you th- if you think of the worst special effect shot uh, from any science fiction movie ever, like that's got to be one of them. I can't think of many that are worse. <laughs> um so it's it's no wonder the movie is is honestly is uh, just it's not good. Um, I, I think if, if you think about the film itself, first of all, we have a, a mate that the female lead is Dwan. What what kind of name is that bird? Can it's you like Dawn but with a W A? That's yeah, know, a direct quote from the movie, by the way. Yeah, but it's 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 stupid. Like, I know why, it's stupid. Uh, we have we have her being like. You know, she's the, being rescued from like a party boat where, like, I guess they were watching a, a porn. Like, I, I, <laughs> well, see, she says she's trying to make films, and she said like her director is ma- ma- like she he was making her watch the movie Deep Throat, which is like which the first like big <laughs> you know triple X uh, like porn movie that like broke outside into the. It's like the first mainstream triple X movie, basically. Um, so I, 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 and I'm led to believe that she was like an aspiring porn actress, or at least like this guy was going to con her into being a porn actress. Yeah. I mean, like that's the, that's the rub. You see what I did there? Um, <laughs> so, so like, man, it's, I don't know the, the thing about this movie, when you compare it to the original film, and honestly, there's no comparison to be made here, but they, they, the movie is like what? It's over two hours long or something. Yes, it's, and it's just it's boring. It's just so boring. Like nothing happens <sighs> on the island, and that's the biggest shame to me is because the the island in the first film like there's the so much stuff a, going. It's like the yeah. point of a King Kong movie. <laughs> you, you, you have the you have the Stegosaurus. You have the you have the Brontosaurus. You have uh, obviously the T Rex scene. Then you have the the snake fight, and then you have the pterodactyl fight. Like. In this film, we get the snake fight, and it's not even a good one. Like, it's just (laughs) – and nothing really – like, in this film, Kong decides he's going to give her a bath in a waterfall and dry her off with his breath. Like, that's – oh, okay. Like, we we, we replace all these fight scenes and all these things that could have been interesting with that. It's it's just – it's it's crap. I don't know. I I can't say anything really great about it. Oh, and they stop in New York City and – they start drinking because, like, oh, hey, there's a giant monster on the loose, but we're going to get drunk at this bar. <laughs> yeah, they literally stop at a bar and start drinking in the middle of, like, a monster rampage. Uh, this movie sucks. Uh, I will say this is by far 
the least exciting King Kong movie. And when you dig through everything else, that's his problem. Um, yeah. I mean, first of all, I mean, the, the characters in this movie aren't very interesting. Um, I mean, Jessica Lang is attractive. And, I mean, Jeff Bridges, I mean, is always a, a, a pleasure to watch. He's um, good. Yeah. Like, for what he, yeah, he's, but he's not, I mean, the, the problem is the movie sucks, but yeah. he's actually interesting. Um, Charles Grodin is the, like, greedy oil company guy. Like, he, he could have been a fun, like, love-to-hate-him villain, but he doesn't really do much. Um, but, uh, I, it, like I said, it's just not a very exciting movie. For a movie that's supposed to compete with Jaws and is remaking what's still to this day might be the best adventure film ever made, there's not a really a sense of adventure. And that's what bothers me about it. Um, I mean, it... it, it it just drags and everything kind of takes forever. Um, like when they get to Skull Island, uh, like there, it's it's like they just go to an island that where there's nothing on it. Like there's there's a tribe of people who like we we see dance for a really long time. Um, um, that that's that Kong like the sacrifice scene or whatever is so freaking long. Yeah, it takes forever before Kong even walks out. It's just mostly seeing them dance and seeing Jessica Lange screaming, and, and then Kong finally comes out. And uh, this is where I'll agree with Rick Baker that he does move very human. And so when he starts beating his chest, it looks like a, a man beating his chest and not a monster, not this god of Skull Island. And, geez, like, it, it might be the... It, like, if, if you're going to take 33, 76, and 05 and line the, the Kong reveals up, I think this one's easily the least exciting and the least uh, tense. And the payoff to it is a silly visual. Um, the other thing that sucks is when one of the best scenes in the original film is when Kong comes to the gate and he, he knocks, you know, he, he knocks the, the gate open and you have that awesome scene where basically the, the gate comes open and everybody's running from Kong and this scene, he like smashes through the gate and immediately falls into a pit. Like it's, (laughs) it's just really, I mean, (sighs) yeah, he, he like kind of like just bangs on the, on the wall (laughs) And then it opens, and then like he he like runs out, and then he just like goes, poof, just falls into this pit, and then that's where they like gas him to to take him away. Yeah, uh, just and it it doesn't have the excitement that you felt when he broke through the wall in the original. That scene is incredible. Um, like it's one of the, it's 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 iconic, and I, I still it's one of the the scenes that I I, I remember about the film very distinctly or even the peter jackson version where he in the peter jackson version like he actually like puts up quite a fight with the people throwing the the bombs at him in this he literally just falls into a hole like um uh yeah the only fight we get with other creature any other kind of creature is a big snake who just kind of wraps around him and then kong kind of rips his jaw open and then that's it um yeah and yeah it's it's just skull island isn't a very exciting place like there it's it seems like it's barely inhabited not like 
aside from like the islanders there's really like nothing there besides king kong and so there's no real sense of danger to it you know there's no sense of hey if i turn this corner what kind of horrible awful thing is going to chase me that's not there there's nothing at in, in skull island and you take the you take skull island out of king kong basically is what they did and what are you left with you're left with a movie where people go to an island where there's nothing there and we're supposed to feel scared but we're not because it's practically uninhabited um the it scene takes where, a mystique out of kong is what it does it just yeah um the scene where he blow dries uh <laughs> dwan is ridiculous oh my gosh um, i know a lot of people give the jackson movie crap for the scene where they're sl- sliding around on the ice in my opinion it has nothing on this um i'll, I'll agree i'll agree with you there uh, i will absolutely <laughs> agree with you on that and and you think of like okay the big kong scenes in this are when he grabs dwan and then when he blow dries dwan when he fights a snake and when he gets shot off the towers uh like i don't know um and uh i will i mean if if i have to find some some things to say i'll say um I think the director, John Gillerman, I, I feel like he probably did his best. It's a well-directed movie in that um, it's got a lot of really, really nice shots in it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a pretty movie to look at. It's a good-looking movie. Um, but uh, there's just no excitement there. It's, it's, it's like looking at um, – it's like picking up a, a book with a nice glossy cover and it's all textured and then you open it and it's just blank pages like john barry score is pretty good yeah the score by john barry uh is fantastic it's 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 the best thing about this movie i think oh Um, yeah for sure and i mean john John barry i mean people know from you know like uh his james bond stuff and um i mean like he's a great one of the great composers and this score is really no exception that's that's the thing that i think is kind of actually missing about movie scores now is that back then if you got a guy like john barry or jerry goldsmith or bernard herman or ennio morricone to do a score they could they could be scoring the worst movie in the world and turn out something awesome um uh, I mean, there's a couple set pieces in here that I do like. Um, uh, I thought the, I think the miniatures are are pretty good. Um, the scene where Kong attacks the train, uh, I, I think that's a, a good scene. Um, the scene where uh, um, uh, he's uh, on the World Trade Center and he gets shot down, I think that's pretty well done. Um, what else happens in this movie? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I want to revisit the the suit uh, for a second because yeah, we Rick, we, we Rick, should. Rick, Rick Baker's suit in this film is the, the I mean, especially the face is actually incredibly expressive. Yeah, it's not a bad suit at all. Um, you know, I, I know Rick wasn't very happy with it uh, because he had to make a lot of compromises and. 
Um, but it, it's a it's a decent suit, uh, and yeah, the the mechanics in the face for the most part. I mean, every now and then, like if there's a part where he's supposed to kind of be like smiling or something, like he he might look <laughs> like he might look kind of derpy, but. Um, that's but, more in the next movie, but oh yeah, yeah. oh well, the next movie is full of derp Kong, but um, uh, but yeah, the the suit it, it is it is pretty well done, and um, you know, I mean, props to that. Uh, oh, you know what? The other scene that um I thought was okay, I I think it's mostly because I like Kong in the scene is the part where he is the log scene where he's shaking the guys off the log. Um, I think it's I think Rick Baker at least plays that scene very well. Um. It it has a weird look to it. Uh like it looks it, look it looks weird, very yeah. fake. But not in like the charming, like cool matte painting kinda like King Kong Escapes fake. It looks kinda fake in the way that it's like it's obvious it's very obviously a set and it's got like this weird like brownish, like purplish like look to it that looks it just looks off to me. But I but when I watched it I I did like the scene. I think maybe some of that I think it's kind of like an unintentional like fakeness to it. I think that's kind of why I liked it. Um and I will say for as much as like uh the movements aren't necessarily great of Kong, I do think Rick Baker really did I mean whether it's building the suit or playing Kong, I mean the poor guy he really did seem to really put his heart and soul into into a production that was like dead set to make him miserable and i think he played kong really well um and just like um nakajima in in the kong suit or just like uh you know willis o'brien animating he gave he gave kong as much personality as he possibly could so i mean i i do have to give give him credit for that one other scene uh, that I think actually looks pretty awesome is the first time they actually see the wall, like early on in the film. That that scene's actually pretty cool. I'm assuming that's probably like some sort of uh, matte shot or something, but it's it's pretty neat. Yeah. But but overall, like yeah, that that log scene looks bizarre. <laughs> it does look weird. I'm looking at I'm looking at uh, some pictures of it right now, and I, to, to kind of jog my memory and. Uh, because I watched this a couple months ago, but yeah, you're right. Like it, it does have this off coloring to it. Yeah. Um. And uh, another thing I, I want to talk about is, so the script by Lorenzo Semple Jr. is the guy's name. Uh, he said that he wanted to include, like, it said that he wanted to make the the script have like a kind of sly, slick, kind of ironic sense of humor to it. But the thing is, that's not the movie that Gillerman wanted to make. So I think that's why you have some dialogue that is goofy, but it's delivered so straight when I don't know... <laughs> I, I don't think it was written to be delivered as straight as it is. Like, when Dwan says, I can tell you're an Aries by the shape of your ears. <laughs> like, like what? that's a scene that's played completely... Oh, man. It, it, that's a scene that is not played for laughs. Um, and then there's a scene where, where she calls, where Kong is grabbing her and, and God, this movie, the dialogue in this movie is so awful, people. It is, it's the worst dialogue. Like when there's a scene where Kong like picks her up and she calls him a chauvinist pig ape. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, you're not going to get that even in like, like that, like some of this stuff is, that's like something straight out of like Queen Kong or something. Oh yeah, that's definitely that's Queen something Kong out, straight out of like an awful, awful parody. But like, I mean, in addition to just a not very dangerous Skull Island, like that makes like, like how am I supposed, like it, it, that's the kind of thing that like it takes you completely out of the movie and, you know, this dialogue is just so bad that, I don't know, the whole movie is filled with things like that. And then, like, the movie's attempts at humor are so unfunny. Like, uh, apparently the, the oil company that's there to find oil is called Petrox, which is supposed to be a pun because pet rocks were big at the time. Ha ha ha! I, for, I forgot about this. Like, why? I, what? Like, this, it's the worst kind of hu- like comic relief humor in the it, that I can think of. Like, it's the least funny comic relief you can imagine. Can, can we can we talk about pet rocks? Like, how can someone? I mean, I, you know, I was born in the mid eighties. I I don't. How are how are pet rocks a, th- a thing? Like, are are well, they, we that they dumb? Just sold, they just sold rocks and like you know. <laughs> no, but how? I, and people like, would I buy just... them and treat them like pets. It was fucking weird. <laughs> what? Why? Like, oh man, I, I like maybe the zombie apocalypse just needs to happen. Like, it, <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Pet rocks. I mean, I just I don't know. Hey, do you remember the the gyrating natives like dry humping Dwan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is going on in this movie? Um, and I, I just felt like when I watched it, like I watched it maybe a week ago, and I just, it just kept going. Um, <laughs> I watched both this and the Peter Jackson movie in the same week, and the Peter Jackson movie is about an hour longer, and that movie has a lot of problems too. I'm not going to give that movie a free pass. Don't you dare think that's what I'm saying. But... This movie felt longer than the Peter Jackson one, despite being about an hour shorter. I mean, that's 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 my. I mean, that's not going to be the case for everyone. I'm just saying, like, that's my opinion. That's my take on this. Is this movie is just it's boring. There's no excitement, and I know a lot of people grew up with it, and you know, there's a lot of nostalgia for it. Um, but I know a lot of people like it, and I legitimately like don't know how someone can watch this movie and be engaged during the whole thing. Like, how do you, how do you get through this movie without just mentally checking out at some point? You have a podcast. Like that's, <laughs> that's how I survived. <laughs> like, um, and I don't, it, it, like there's worse King Kong movies, but this might be my least favorite of all the King Kong movies. It's just, it's just, Ugh, I don't know. And poor Rick Baker, man. And also, I mean, I didn't mention like how like that suit was hell on him. Like, like he he was trying to come up with ways to like keep it like uh, cool inside, and like they wouldn't let him. So like he had to make like I don't know. He ended up doing some like like uh, some cheap way of like keeping cool in the suit. Um, and like the contact lenses, like were making him like he couldn't. He said like he they were designed for him to see out of them, but he couldn't. So, like, throughout most of the shoot, he couldn't see anything while he was playing Kong. Like, he legitimately, it was just, like, black. (laughs) And, uh, like, it caused, like, one of his eyes, like, started to get cloudy because, like, they were hurting his eyes. Like, and the the poor guy didn't get any credit for this. 
Um, so, I mean, geez, this, this movie, ugh, finally we're through this movie. Uh, it is weird to see this, the World Trade Center after 9-11 now in this. Yeah, it's sad. Um, do you remember, I don't know if you've seen it, but, uh, I think it was one of the, I think it was like the first, like, one of the first pop culture anythings that referenced 9-11 directly, but uh, shortly after 9-11, there was a Saturday Night Live skit where they were like, and now we bring you back to our television movie event of King Kong, and every time, like, uh, it's supposed to, like, show the World Trade Center, like, it just cut to some some people in in a building, and they basically, like, narrate everything that's happening, because the joke was, <laughs> the joke was that they couldn't show the World Trade Center on TV, which is, like, uh, that's a thing a lot of a lot of people couldn't do like uh Seinfeld couldn't do like the show like the the skyline um or not Seinfeld Friends? yeah Friends. Not Seinfeld Friends. It, yeah it was Friends cuz Seinfeld yeah. ended long before 9/11 but um but yeah the the joke was like they just cut to these actors narrating like this exciting thing of like Kong climbing the building and getting shot and they're like now he's getting shot and then like and you know it's it's a pretty funny skit. I think I think Drew Barrymore was the host, but um, I actually think I have seen that, but it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm sure it's on online somewhere. But um, anyway, uh, oh God, and, and another thing I just remembered, like those hydraulic hands, like um, they were assured, like oh, they won't grab Jessica too tight. Guess what they <laughs> guess what they did frequently grabbed her too tight, and she had a lot of bruises and and stuff from it because like she couldn't get out of the damn things i i mean people there's so much stuff that went wrong making this movie it's really incredible uh and i I, like this is one of the things where like this is a movie where like if someone did a a blu-ray that had like a feature length making of just about how wrong every like everything went like uh I would probably buy it because it's like I like behind the scenes stories of movies that just like go wrong. Um, a movie I actually like is Alien Three. A lot of people don't like that one. Um, Alien Three. But on the uh, on the Blu-ray set, there's like a three-hour making of, and it's fascinating because that's a movie where literally nothing went right, nothing, and <laughs> it's it's if you're into like filmmaking, like it's really fascinating stuff. Uh, another thing I want to mention is, uh, despite winning a Golden Globe for this movie, God knows how, uh, Jessica Lange, um, uh, she, this is a movie she really doesn't like to talk about, despite it being her first movie, because, as I'm sure people know, she went on to be a big actress, and, you know, uh, Oscar, Oscar nominations, and, and, uh, I mean, a lot of great stuff, but, um, According to Marshall Fine's book, Editorial Re- Reviews, um, while Lang did win the Golden Globe, uh, she didn't appear in another movie for three years because nobody took her seriously, and she was kind of embarrassed by this movie. And I, I, I actually love Jessica Lang. I think she's an amazing actress, but she's not good in this. Um, no, she's she's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Matt, is there anything that you want to? Uh, oh, I, I'll say like I, I I like the idea of modernizing the Kong story, and you know I think in the seventies when there was a lot of uh, uh, like you know 
people uh, outspoken about fossil fuels and stuff. I think having like a greedy guy trying to find oil pockets is like, you know, it's an interesting way to update it. Unfortunately, this movie just doesn't like it's not good. <laughs> so <laughs> it sucks. Um, so, so how many stolen Rick Baker Oscars would you give this film? Ooh, uh, oof. Um, <laughs> uh, Do you have a better one? Cause I thought that was pretty no, good. No, no, that's a good one. I give this, uh, I think I'm going to give this a two. Two. Oh man. Uh, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go one and a half. Okay. I, I don't, it's, it's not good. Cause there it's, are scenes that I do like, it's just, there's only like three of them. <laughs> no, you, you know, like, you know what? No, screw it. I'm going one. Like it's not, it's not good. Damn. It's That's not like the same rating as ape. <laughs> uh, no, I think, I think I gave ape like a half. Oh, I don't know. Well, it's, I don't remember. Uh, it's bad, and I mean, like, go see Mighty Peaking Man instead of this because Mighty Peaking Man is is way more fun, in my yes. opinion. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, to quote Ray Harryhausen, who's arguably the world's biggest King Kong fan ever, um, they made they took they made a King Kong movie and took all the fantasy out. So if that sounds that's, fun to you, you're probably a serial killer or something. But that that's exactly how this movie is, honestly. <laughs> they, they took the mystique out of the character and and the island especially. Yeah. Um so yeah, I'm I'm going to stick with a jeez. Yeah, you know, I'm going to stick with a 2. No. 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 Ugh, how I, is that how is this worthy of a 2? I mean, a 2. Like, to me to, to me like a 2. That's like a D. Is, is, is that, in no, school. like a two, a two is like a watchable to me, like a watchable bad film. And and in this movie, you told me over and over again on Facebook how this movie, like you were complaining. He was complaining to our like two listeners on on, on here. He was complaining about how like the movie was still going on and on. I can't <laughs> see how this is like. I would get a message from him every fifteen minutes, like they're still on the freaking island and nothing is all right, happening. All right, all right, all right. Okay, fine. You've talked me into it. I'm gonna gi- I- I'm gonna give this one and a half stolen Rick Baker Oscars. All right. Is that better? That's better. That is a more appropriate rating. <sighs> and and just so everyone knows, whatever whatever Bird says, you need to like subtract like a half to like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. He over he overinflates most things. Yes, I am a bit of a sensationalist. I admit. <sighs> fake news man yeah fake news alternative facts i'm sorry it's just those jokes they make themselves they're not this, even jokes this movie being good is an alternative fact Damn. that is correct that is correct no i mean i know people like it i i probably won't ever understand why but i mean if you do same thing i say about you know shouldn't godzilla if you like it more power to you that's just one more movie in in, a, in the series that you can like and i <laughs> i can just sit in the corner and be a grump about but I, well, I think can, the, we get, can we get Sean Spicer to, to like narrate <laughs> like a defense for this movie? Because I would watch that. Oh yeah, it would be better than this. I would. Um, I would totally watch that. Mainly, well, he would just be like, you know, they should have just gotten all those black people to play King. King. <laughs> <laughs> or like Kellyanne Conway or whatever that lady's name is yeah, to yeah. to tell us how good the movie is, and then maybe like plug in Ivanka Trump's uh, <laughs> products. Uh. You know, there, there's uh, – when this movie – well, one thing I will say about the how, – how it was a profit loss when it came out, 
Um, it ended up making a lot of money because uh, I don't remember the exact amount, but NBC in 1978, that's back when like a cable network, or uh, not a cable, a, a basic television network, uh, like one of the big three, would buy like a big movie for a lot of money and just play it constantly. So NBC play, it paid like a few million dollars, so it actually ended up making more a, li- a little more money just on that sale. Um, so in the end, you know, things weren't all doom and gloom. Um, but you know, compared to something like Jaws, uh, you know, and with all the overspending, you know, it could have, it could, outcome could have been better, but, uh, they made, uh, quite a, a score off of that NBC sale. And, um, when NBC, NBC first started running it, it was actually an extended version. Um, does that still exist? That was, uh, it, it was something like um uh it it was a lot of stuff like taken from an early work print and um it was an extended version that with commercials was about 4 hours uh, as far as I know, well, I don't even watch a 4 oh my oh a crazy well, person. I I yeah. think um I think some of the deleted scenes exist somewhere. I don't know if there's a a ver- like a, a copy of that extended cut because I don't know how much it played uh, once v- after VCRs were around. Like when I was younger and I saw it on TV, it was always the um, the uh, the theatrical version. I, I know um, the Region Two DVD has uh, I think three or four delete of the deleted scenes on there, but um, I mean it can't. I mean I don't I don't know if I need more of this in my life. <laughs> No, you don't. <laughs> you <laughs> um, absolutely do not. So, uh, um, so okay. So, uh, despite you know this movie being troubled, and before you know that sale to NBC, and uh, you know, I mean, there were there was a lot of financial mishandling, and you know, it, it didn't do as well as it was. Uh, expected but uh dino had always wanted to do a sequel um to to the movie and um there were a couple ideas that they knocked around uh that never never happened um he wanted to do like uh um a crossover with uh, the movie after he... I mean, I don't know what this guy's deal was with wanting to top Jaws, but after this, he was like, okay, that didn't work. I'll make <laughs> I'll make Orca the killer whale, and oh, that'll be our oh, version man. of Jaws. Um, and what one yeah. of the ideas that he wanted to do was um, King Kong versus Orca, which I, I don't know how... I, I don't un- really understand the logistics of that, because, <laughs> like... An orca is like in can't leave the ocean. Yeah, I don't. It sounds like it would be a, a terrible. No, the, well, I mean, we we saw that in the the one Kong ripoff film where he just like you know massacres a dead shark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was basically what this next what that movie would have been. I think. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, oh, it was 19, oh, holy shit, I didn't even realize it was that much. NBC bought the TV rights for $19.5 million. That's why they sold, yeah, I would have. <laughs> and, and that's only for two showings over the course of five years. 
NBC's stupid. So <laughs> so that's where they made their money back is on that. It wasn't in box office. Holy sh okay, anyway. Moving on. So King Kong versus Orca never happened. Uh Lord knows why. Um, nah, that was a blessing. I mean, we, <laughs> nobody wants to see that movie. Uh, but, you know, Paramount, um, despite ma- uh, making a lot of money from that NBC deal, uh, you know, the, they, they didn't want to do a sequel. You know, they were like, you know, we had enough of this shit. <laughs> so um, uh, eventually um, Dino De Laurentiis uh, formed his own production company called the Dino De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, um, who were around, uh, from like the, um, the, the mid eighties through early nineties. Um, and, uh, I mean, they, they helped fund a lot of great movies like, um, uh, Evil Dead 2, Pumpkinhead, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, um, but anyway, I mean, Dino, uh, in 1986, he had gotten his production company off the ground and he was like, you know what? I'm going to do another Kong movie. Uh, so, um, that's where we get King Kong lives. Woo-hoo! Um, yes. And, uh, this, I mean, th- this is going to be, I'm sure a much quicker discussion cause it, it this was a much... <laughs> Uh, it was a more it was it wasn't a perfect production, but it was a, it was more it was a lot more smooth than the '76 movie. Um, uh, Rick Baker didn't did not want to do this again. He was like, uh, <laughs> no. So, uh, but they did bring back Carlo Rambaldi. This time, left to his own devices for the special effects. Uh, it brought back the director John Gillerman, who. From what I understand, between 76 and 86, um, uh, his his son died, and um, just kind of, I, I think a lot of his enthusiasm for directing had kind of, uh, kind of gone away, um, and people that worked on both movies said, you know, the, the John who worked on King Kong Lives was a completely different person, you know, a little bit more mellow, um, than on, on the set of 76, but he, he did still have a few outbursts. Um, but from what I understand, he was still in a a deep depression and there were days where like he would leave the set and go to lunch and he would just never come back. Um, and, uh, that pissed off a lot of people. Linda Hamilton, I know, she was having none of it, and she I know she describes this shoot as being just miserable because it was like, you know, where's the director? <laughs> you know are we can we go home or um, so uh, uh, <laughs> god the the plot of this movie this might be one of the dumbest mo- ideas to ever grace the silver screen, Matt like. <laughs> I, it's pretty bad, yeah. The, the the plot for this movie is so stupid. I like I'm almost like I can't believe someone like f- like spent like millions of dollars making it, making 18 million dollar budget. That's insane. For 86, yeah, on a mo- on something this dumb. So so uh <laughs> can we give Toho 18 million dollars to make oh, never mind. Go Anything. Ahead. Yeah, any, any, yeah. 
Um, so after the, so keep in mind this takes place in eighty six. So this means Kong. Okay, so Kong after being shot, he's kept it alive for ten years, uh, while uh, a surgeon played by Linda Hamilton is trying to make an ar- uh, an artificial heart for King Kong. If that's not the dumbest idea for a movie ever, I don't know what is. It's never really said why. Like they, they like uh, and and like the cost of keeping him alive for 10 years is probably like for a heart transplant like that has like this probably barely going to work. Like that's the dumbest thing ever. Anyway, meanwhile, uh uh, our our hero by the name of uh, of Hank goes to Borneo and he discovers a giant female of the same species uh, who they call Lady Kong and then um, his th- his idea is she'll give Kong the blood transfusion um, to use for his operation and then um, that's successful uh, and then uh, you know. And then eventually Kong hears her like yelling and screaming from her ca- her cage or the, like she's being held in like a warehouse and Kong breaks breaks out and takes her away. And then uh, for some reason, uh, uh, an insane like uh, army lieutenant just wants to kill them for reasons <laughs> that we never learn um, ever. And that's pretty much. I mean, that's the plot of the movie. Uh, it's really dumb. Well, they have a, Kong and Lady Kong have a baby. Yes, they do. It, it does turn out that she's pregnant. Um, so I, that's King Kong lives. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I'm I'm not gonna lie. This movie's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um. And like the 76 movie, it is boring in a lot of places. It's pretty boring in a lot of places, but the highs are so stupid and silly that I, I like, I, upon this rewatch, I couldn't help but have fun with them. Um, Matt, what's, what's your take on King Kong Lives? Uh, so, so I like this movie. Um, mainly, mainly on a nostalgic sort of like, I, I saw, I loved it as a kid. It's not good. Um, you, you have like a lot of those really dumb cliches. Well, first of all, let me say this. Imagine being Linda Hamilton and like coming off a of Terminator, which is an awesome movie. And then like going to this. <laughs> two years <laughs> later. <laughs> like, oh man. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Lady Kong who has like the love interest in uh, Mitch, which is just like they they flip that for a second and i don't know it's it's not it's a terror you have kong boobs you know kong boobs comes yes. back we'll talk about that in another podcast yes kong boobs. um also if if for anybody who cares the uh the, the wikipedia page for king kong lives lists jack black as being carl denham in this film which is <laughs> <I> clearly think... <laughs> not correct <laughs> that's that's an alternative fact for you right there that is not correct um <laughs> Look, one of the, the the best thing about this movie is that are the scenes with the rednecks that like bury Kong in this avalanche of rocks, and then like Kong goes on this rampage and like bites one of the dudes' heads off and like snaps another one in half, and 
that's that's the highlight of the film for me. And then the, the end of the movie when he finally kills the crazy Sergeant Slaughter ripoff. Um, he was he, it's actually Archie Nevitt played by uh, John Ashton, who I like John Ashton by the way. Like uh, he he's I don't know. He, he's crazy in this film, and his, his performance is just kind of mad. But like, it's so over the top and goofy that I just kind of enjoy it. So for me, if you're looking for something to like kill the time and you like King Kong, like check it out. It doesn't do any service or justice to the character by any means. Not at all. But like, it's just a ripoff <laughs> film that like, it, it, think of it like a really bad asylum movie, more or less. <laughs> it's fun. It's stupid. But because I grew up with it. And liked it as a kid. Like, I find a, a soft spot in my heart. And, you know, honestly, I get genuinely sad at the end because Kong seems, sees the birth of his son and then dies. Like, it's just ah, sadness. Um, and I'm, I'm a big weepy mess anyway, so. No, that, that's... <laughs> no this movie is, is really stupid, um, but it's fairly entertaining because of that. I mean, if you... If you expect to go in and watch this movie and take it seriously, no, you can't do that. I mean, you're you're doing it wrong. Like there's no way like I don't this is a movie that is enjoyed on a purely ironic level. And if you're not the person who can enjoy a bad movie on an ironic level, um it's probably not the movie for you. Uh I will say I agree with the I agree with you the part with the rednecks being killed is awesome. Um <laughs> Kong meets Deliverance is what that, <laughs> like and what that is. This is another one where uh, the screenplay, uh, written by Ron Shusett, by the way, who co-wrote uh, Total Recall and Alien. Um, I don't know How? what. I I don't know. Uh, he, oh. he he must have been on drugs or something. I don't know. But um, he wrote the script, um, kind of similar to what. Uh, was attempted with the 76 movie and like he wanted it to be like like he 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 thought the premise was stupid and he was like okay well like i should add a lot more humor um and the the thing is it's it's got the same problem that the 76 movie does and it's an issue of tone because like uh the the really like silly like stupid campy like goofy parts are like the parts with the rednecks like the parts <laughs> where like uh like he walks through a golf course and like a oh yeah like a golf yeah. ball hits him and like the part where he steps on these yuppies lamborghini like those are really dumb cheesy moments but uh and i feel like that's probably what the the screenwriter was getting at but i feel like again it's a, a case of like where i don't know if gillerman really saw it that way so you have a movie that uh, I like. I feel like if the movie kept the tone of those scenes throughout the whole thing, this would be like one of the best like co- monster movie comedies ever. But the fact that it doesn't <laughs> makes it like it makes it a lot more boring. It makes it a lot more a lot more dumb. Like imagine if someone like um, like uh, you know like that's something like that Joe Dante does with a lot of his movies. Like you look at Gremlins or the howling and like his whole thing is like i gotta add a little bit of humor and irony in here somewhere just because he he doesn't want the people to people in the audience to start laughing at the horror or laughing at the monsters so he always adds little in jokes and very tongue-in-cheek stuff and i think like if a director of his caliber were to make this i think it would be a much different much better movie but again it's an issue of tone where you have um you know certain 
people like Linda Hamilton's character is very straight. Yeah, like creatively, the, the again, it's like the '76 movie. The creative, uh, the the creative parties involved weren't on the same page, um, and I, I think that's a, a problem. And you know, it, it like there's a part where Kong interrupts like a weird like 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 redneck like hee haw <laughs> like. <laughs> Like those oh, those parts that are so random and stupid. Like if the whole movie was just those parts, I would love it. But because it's not, it's like, yeah, this this kind of sucks. Um, and it's, it's uh, still it's still better than uh, seventy six. Well, I, I think seventy six is a more competently made. Better, yeah, which one are you gonna? Yeah, which one are you gonna watch? Yeah, which it's, one it's, a, gonna... it's a more competently made, better looking, better directed, more like slick, more stylish movie than this. But I mean, I would watch this any day of the week just because of its, you know, its dumbness. I mean, I I, I saw both of these as a kid, and even as a kid, I, I probably watched Lives more. In fact, I yeah. I remember the day I saw this first. Um, I, I I talked about how. Uh, like, when I was younger, my grandparents used to, like, take me to rent, like, every giant monster movie I could. And I remember I was being dropped off for school in, like, second grade. And when I was getting out of the car, I slammed my finger in the car door. And it, like, crushed my finger. It didn't break, but it, like, my, my, my fingernail and, like, the flesh on my finger were, like, smushed and like coming off and that so like, awesome, it, oh, it terrible. was terrible it was awful <laughs> and so so my grandpa was like okay no school today and then we went to the video store and we we rented king kong lives this your is grandpa back... sounds like an awesome dude oh yeah dude he was he was amazing and this is why uh like you know and so i spent the day home from school watching king kong lives um <laughs> uh but yeah that's just a fun like i guess side story um, but yeah, it's, it, and, and it's got like this eighties, like sleaze that the, uh, the 76 movie doesn't have, which I think kind of adds to its entertainment value. Like for no reason, Linda Hamilton and the guy just bone like, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, like there's like nude, like you see like her boobs and like, yeah, like it's, it's weird how movies that are rated pg isn't this rated pg i'm pretty um, sure it is pretty i sure think it's rated this PG. one was this one might have been pg-13 actually but it's just weird how like nudity now is uh, you can you could get away with like in the 70s and the 80s you could put like boobs in there and like they're like oh yeah. boobs and now look at, look at the, the opening scene of jaws car. has the girl skinny dipping oh yeah yeah um and, and, but yeah, and then like the fact that like it, it gets like so much more mean spirited than you know and your average King Kong or giant monster movie does. Like he picks up a guy and splits him in half. <laughs> uh, like he he bites another guy's. Uh, he bites his head off. Yeah, and he spits bites out his, his head. <laughs> head off and like he doesn't just spit out his head. Like oh, he picks it out of his. Yeah, teeth, he picks it out he? of his teeth yeah. and like you get a close up of him like putting his finger in his mouth and like fishing <laughs> for it and it's like. What kind of lunatic made this? Like, this is a King Kong movie? Um, uh, I will say, I mean, again, I I think Carlo Rimbaldi is a very good effects uh, artist, but the suits in this I don't think are as good as the Rick Baker ones. Um, The actors that play King Kong and Lady Kong 
move more like, you know, they should, you know, they're more slouched walking on all fours, but, uh, um, uh, like, it, yeah, it's the, the, the faces aren't as expressive and there's certain parts where, uh, like the gaps between the mask and the actor's eyes are like way more noticeable. Like it looks more like a mask and, um, like the baby, well, yeah. the baby Kong at the end is kind of silly. Um, Derp Kong when he smiles, that's yeah. The, the, the yeah, when Kong smile. if you thought Kong looked silly in the last movie when he smiles, he looks really derpy here. Um, and like lady, same with Lady Kong. Like they both just look like a bunch of big dumb guys in suits. I don't. <laughs> oh man! So how many? Uh, what Kong boobs? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> oh boy, Kong boobs. Um, okay, this one I'll give a two. All right, two two Kong boobs. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna be that guy and go uh, two and a half. Because because I just I. I have too much nostalgic attachment. That That's probably why. I, th- I think we've established <laughs> firmly on this podcast that I, I am an idiot. Um, so two and a half Kong boobs, I think, is, is appropriate just because uh, I, I enjoy I enjoy this movie much more than I should. But I'm not afraid to admit it. I know it's not good, but I, I just I have a, a childhood affinity and, and love for this film that is far greater than how good the movie is. Um, also the in battle with between Kong and the military, it, it's fun. And the way that Kong like kills the, the sergeant or whatever, it's hilarious. It's awesome. He like, like crushes. <laughs> well, like they, they, he like, like crushes them into the ground with his fist. Then they go to a shot of him and it, it looks like a, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Like he's just like in a <laughs> hole and his feet are like sticking up. <laughs> Oh man! As a kid, I thought that was like the most savage thing I'd ever seen, and now I see it now as an adult. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is ludicrous. <laughs> this um, movie has a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and, and rightfully so. Like, it's not it's not good. Uh, but again, it, it's just it's it's a movie that's fun. And if I'm gonna pick between this or the '76 film, I'm I'm going King Kong Lives every single time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- this is like the Godzilla versus Megalon of the King Kong series like it's bad but like if you if you watch it with the right mindset it can be fun like it's not a movie i would just watch like anytime like i'd have to be in the mood for it um it'd be fun to watch with like the right audience too like if 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 you had a bunch of friends over and you wanted to like just watch a movie and have a random comment you know commentary and have a good time like I, i would watch this film and do that yeah um uh oh i i do want to mention that uh our hero um hank mitchell his first scene is him walking some horses through a swamp and yelling at them to quit bitching <laughs> i forgot about i that. just felt like i should i should mention that yeah you're right the tone is like bizarrely all over the place like all, all of the main like the the protagonists in the film that are trying to save kong everything about them is played very straight and then you have like this over the top like almost cobra-esque character from like gi joe yeah. it should have uh, just it should have just been a straight up parody i think yeah that would have been a lot uh, that would have been better yeah it would have been way better than queen kong the movies oh yeah yeah like I, but no uh king kong lives man uh 18 million dollar budget 4.5 at the box office uh, i think it's pretty safe to say uh, no one wanted to do a sequel. However, apparently this was a weird, like, big hit in Japan. 
that's I don't know, man. Japanese people, they love this movie, I guess. There were two uh, Japan-only video games, two video games based on this movie um, in Japan. And the the posters for those, by the way, are incredible. Yeah, that's done by the the artists that did uh, um, a lot of the Godzilla posters. Um, For the Heisei series? uh, Yeah, Noriyoshi Orei, Orei. Noriyoshi Orai, um, who made a lot of awesome Godzilla and Star Wars posters, um, but he also did the Japanese King Kong Lives poster, which is really cool. Um, He just passed away, like, what, last year? Yep. I think? Yeah, he did a lot of awesome stuff. His his Um, posters are incredible. Like, they really are some of the the best. Like, I, I wish American movie posters... We're more like that instead of some of the crap we get. Yeah. Well, did you see uh, Yuichi Kaida's Skull Island poster? I did. That was pretty That's awesome. Great. Um, but yeah, Orai did a lot of the. He did. I think he did all the Heisei movies, and then um, he did. Yeah. He did a. I think he did Megaguirus and Final Wars also. Um, and also, I mean, he's he's most known for his work uh, doing Star Wars posters, which if you're a fan of Star Wars and don't know who we're talking about, you you've would. Seen his, yeah. yeah, you've seen his posters. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, again, uh, that Japanese poster is a lot better than the movie. Um, it, it is. <laughs> so uh, that was so much more easy to talk about than uh, Kong 76. Yeah. You, you. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, if you've stuck with us this long, uh, thank you for putting up with me talking so much. Uh, I mean, if you're going to blame anyone, blame Dino De Laurentiis and uh, his crew of crazy, disagreeable Italians, because they made this episode really hard. <laughs> and as the as the historian figure on this podcast... I'm just glad we're we're done with it. <laughs> um, so those are the the Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, that's that's uh, that era of Kong movies. Um, don't watch them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would add a caveat that 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 King Kong Lives is fun, but it's not good. If you can go into it with that mindset, it's worth watching. Yeah. Um, Whew, all right. Any any? Did we miss anything? Are we good for this? this nah, man. We're, we're, I think we I think we got it all. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Uh, special thank you to our listeners this time for putting up with with all that because that was just silliness. And like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at kt underscore transmissions. You can no, 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 no. What? Kt underscore podcast. Oh. Follow us on Twitter at KT underscore podcast and uh, fill out our Godzilla movie survey, which you can find on our Facebook page. And you can write us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com. And also, I've heard great things come to those who rate and review us on iTunes. There's only one way to find out, though. So, on that note, uh, we are done, and we will see you next time when we're going to talk about King Kong even more. All right. See you. Bye. <laughs>